All right, we're talking about sin issues. Let's go ahead and pray first, I guess. Uh, some, uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together for your word, and we pray that it'll be a profitable time that we'll learn uh, about theology so we can have a better understanding of your word, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, remind me, if someone asks a question out there, I was told apparently there's nine people out there that have been watching this on this, I don't know, uh, live stream. Uh, that's what I heard. Yeah, remind me, if you ask a question out there, to repeat the question. Because they don't know what you're saying. Um, all right, um, we're talking about sin issues and uh, things that are that people ask questions about all the time, and we wonder about these things. And then, uh, for example, we started last week. Are some sins, and these are in the theology books. These questions too. I'm not just talk, talking off the top of my head. Are there some sins worse than others? And I'm not trying to. I don't have an axe to grind about this. I'm just telling. We need to look at what the scripture says about all these things. Are some sins worse than others? Are some sinners worse than others? And we said this, that, uh, that A, some sins arouse the wrath of God to the point of threatening destruction, right? I mean, God said to the beginning of the world, I'm going to destroy the world. And then with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, there are sins, the outcry of the cities come up against me. It's so wicked, I'm going to destroy them. So sometimes that's, that's happened. So that suggests to us, what? These are serious sins that are being committed. Whether we want to say all sins are, are the same or not, it doesn't matter what we're thinking anyway. It only matters what the Bible says. That's what it says. All right, so that's true. Uh, and then we said that some... Um, that's weird. I go from A to C? What did I do here? No, A to B. Some sins demand harsher penalties than others, right? Some things are demand the death penalty. Are you guys with me or is this, am I somewhere else and you're somewhere else? Okay, good, good, good. Okay, everybody looking at me funny. Like, some sins demand harsher penalties than others. Some sins de demand the death penalty, for example. So that tells me that somebody, God and the people and the, the lawmakers or Moses, think that God thinks that this is worthy of a greater penalty than something else that, that you do. That's worse. That's not worthy of a greater penalty. Okay. See, some people are labeled greater sinners than others in the Bible. That's just a fact. Ahab and Jezebel are called out for being great sinners. Manasseh, you know, they did worse than the kings before him. Judas Iscariot, called the son of perdition, son of destruction, betrayer of Christ. What did the Apostle Paul say about himself? I'm the chief of sinners, right? Okay, D, some sins call for church discipline as opposed to others. Not every sin that's committed by believers is, you know, uh, if all of us, if every sin that we committed throughout last week, we were church, church discipline for that this Sunday, all of us would be up here. Hey, Mark and all these people did all this horrible stuff all week. Let's throw them out of the church. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We'd never have it. Paul didn't need to destroy the church. We destroyed ourselves, right? So these things are all true. And then go to E. It says other references, right? That's kind of a catch-all. Look at Ezekiel chapter 8. If you'll turn with me to these, these verses, Ezekiel 8, verse 12. Uh, Ezekiel 8, 12, and 13. We're not going to go into the context of all this. It take forever to go into the context of these things, but you'll get, the, you'll get the gist of what we're saying. Then he said to me, Son of man, the, the elders of Israel are committing sins in secret, okay? Then he said to me, the son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are committing in the dark, each man in the room of his carved images? For they say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And he said to me, yet you will see still greater abominations which, are, which they are committing. 
they're going to commit greater abominations. Look at verse 15. He said to me, do you see this son of man? Yet you will see still greater abominations than these. So he's saying there's going to be worse than what you're seeing right now. In other words, uh, there's going to be worse sins. So he kind of gave a uh, you know, scale. On what we put it through it on a scale of sins. Here's these guys are doing this. Oh, there's going to be greater abominations than this. You haven't seen anything yet. He talks about that. Go to John 19:11. John 19:11. Um, this is Jesus is uh, before Pilate. Pilate says, uh, you know, don't you know I have power over you to release you or whatever. And in verse 11, Jesus says, Jesus answered Pilate, you, have, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. He was, now, Caiaphas delivered, if you want to, that could be Caiaphas or Judas. Caiaphas delivered Jesus to uh, Pilate, but Judas ultimately was the one to betray Jesus. Whoever it's talking about, he says, that guy has the greater sin. In other words, he's still saying there's like a degree, scale of sins here, degree of sin. Greater sin than this sin you're committing right now. So, uh, you know, these things, this is what the scripture says. And in many, many cases, you can see a lot of things. The, the, the weightier matters of the law it talks about, you know, like justice, mercy, and the love of God. And there's lesser matters in the law it talks about. How about the least, he, he breaks the least of these commandments, least and greater commandments. The greatest commandment, love, your, uh, love God with all your heart. So there's all these, uh, the scale that he puts everything on, okay? A lot of the scriptures talk about these. Now, some sins have greater consequences than others. You know, um, some sins involve more people than others in the, in the scriptures we're talking about. So the whole Bible has to be examined to see, okay, well, we say all sin is equal. Well, is it? That doesn't seem to be what the scripture says. Yeah, equal and deserving hell. Right, and so we're going to, let me read some quotes on this, and then you guys, because I, I know that all sin is evil before God, okay, let's all understand that. We all, all sin is wrong, it's sin, sin is sin, first of all, okay, we all understand this. But let me read some quotes from these guys, MacArthur says this, uh, and his, when I say MacArthur, the guys that put together his book, uh, all sins are the same in the sense that each sin renders a person guilty and worthy of God's wrath, that's true. But then he says, at the same time, Scripture does speak of the reality that some sins are considered greater than others. Okay? I'm just telling you this so you'll not think, well, Mark's lost his mind saying all this stuff now, you know? Uh, you ever notice that uh, when I quote a guy, sometimes what I'm doing when I quote a guy is I'm backing myself up with somebody else because they maybe think, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I know I notice what they're thinking sometimes. And so knowing that, I'll say, but did you know this great scholar says this? And they're like, oh, wow, okay, that's, he knows what he's talking about, I know. Okay. Now let me read some things Grudem said. Uh, in terms of our legal standing before God, any one sin, even what may seem to be a very small one, makes us legally guilty before God and therefore worthy of eternal punishment. True. Even one sin, we're guilty before God. Grudem says, on the other hand, <laughs> some sins are worse than others and that they have more harmful consequences in our lives and in the lives of others, and in terms of our personal relationship to God as Father, they arouse his displeasure more than uh, more. And I looked up all the verses. I got thinking about that, all the verses about that. And they bring serious disruption to our fellowship with him. Scripture sometimes speaks of degrees of seriousness of sin. 
And then he says, in general, we may say that some sins have more harmful consequences than others if they bring more dishonor to God or if they cause more harm to ourselves, to others, or to the church. And he says, uh, our conclusion then is that in terms of results and in terms of the degree of God's displeasure, some sins are certainly worse than others. Then he gives this illustration. We can readily see how, much, how some sins have much more harmful consequences for ourselves and others and for our relationship with God. If I were to covet my neighbor's car, that would be sin before God, right? Coveting after his car. But if my coveting led me to actually steal the car, that would be more serious sin. If in the course of stealing the car, I also fought, fought with my neighbor and injured him or recklessly injured someone else as I drove the car, it would even be more serious sin. So it compounds itself. So that just, uh, these are, these are uh, things we can think about regarding that subject. Any, any questions or comments about that as we wrap it up, that section up? Right. That's right. That That's right. That's right. Then, um, well, uh, I guess, like all the scriptures that you read and everything that we're talking about, you know, I, clearly the scriptures do say it's a greater sin than others. Obviously, it does say that. But in the end, is the result still the same for those sinners and from an eternality I don't know, Jimmy. I don't think so. I'll tell you why. I'm going to tell you something that's going to be sounding very strange, maybe. Now, maybe I'm wrong. It seems to me that. Okay, all lost people are going to hell, number right. one. Okay? Right. But when, right. I say, when I say the results are the same, yeah. I mean, in hell it appears that the scriptures teach that there's a greed for suffering. Yeah, I think so. I'll tell you why. Well, look at uh, Revelation 20, verse 12. I'm not going to just tell you why. I will show you why. I think that the person, personally, the person who did, okay, the Adolf Hitlers of the world and uh, Stalin's, which yes. is far, Stalin was far worse than Hitler, by the way, uh, those guys, I think, are going to suffer greater then I'm not, they're all going to suffer. Right. That's but what that's what I think. I think. I think so, personally. Yeah, and, and this is why I think this. I'm not just saying this. Yeah, look, these kind of verses like this, this is why I think this. I saw the dead, small, great and small. This is the judgment, uh, the, the white, great white throne judgment of the wicked dead. I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne. The books were open. Okay, he's got books. There, another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. He's talking about, now he's talking about the, there's the book of life people, the, the believers, but then there's the people who are going to be judged who are evil. Judged court, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. It seems to me like the, the punishment fits the crime, is what I'm saying. Right. I can't I can't remember where that is either. I wanted to say Matthew. Yeah, I want to say. Right, I think it is too. I had Matthew 12 in my head. You had Matthew 5? I don't know. I can't offhand. I don't remember where it is, but. 
Well, if we, if we find it, then we'll look at it. But yeah, there's, there's, there's references like that. So look, if we're wrong, we're wrong. But that's what it seems to indicate to me, that they're, they're, they're judged. Okay, so God's judging the wicked, you know, first of all, unbelief. There's no there's the rejection of Christ, okay? Your fate is already sealed. However, how great is your suffering going to be in hell? Uh, nobody's going to get away. It's all going to be bad. Let's put it that way. But is it going to be worse for some than others? I, I tend to think that it is because of verses like this. Uh, because, uh, you know, you get a guy like Stalin who killed anywhere from 20 to 80 million people. They don't even know the number is. A ridiculous amount. He's an insane killer of his own people even. Go ahead. That's a, yeah. It's one of these. Yeah, it's one of those comparative verses. Greater condemnation. What does it mean? It's greater than somebody else. At least it's got to mean something. So that's why I think that. All right. Um, any other questions about that? If, we, if you guys see any more verses, let me know about that. Um, Bob. No. Not at all. I'm saying it's all bad. It's all bad. But maybe, and, I don't, and we can't even, we can't even uh, envision this, I don't believe. It's hard to imagine, but like, okay, is it worse to be in, okay, let's just think of an Ill, earthly illustration. You, you got the guy on, a, you, let's say we throw a guy in a, in a, in a prison in, in America, a maximum prison, whatever, but he's got, he's being fed nicely, we'll say, and he's, got a, uh, at, least, at least a place to lay down and sleep and so on and so forth, and he's got li access to the library. You can read books, okay? Then you got the guys. Now, I don't think they still have, they don't have this anymore, but they used to have this, uh, this island back there out, outside of California called what? Alcatraz. Alcatraz. Yeah. And that was a bad place. From my understanding, it was the worst of criminals were there. And they told you that was the worst. There you go, scale of, of, of degrees again. You had the worst criminals. They were out there, and they were, maybe they had to, hammer, well, at some places you had to hammer rocks back in the day to, you know, to, uh, that was your punishment, hard labor. Remember, they sent us to hard labor, they used to say. That's, that's not sitting in the library in the local jail reading a book. You're out there working hard like crazy. Worst form of punishment. So maybe uh, that's a, you know, the only thing we can think of, something like that. Bob is, okay, so in hell, you know, that's, there's the, there's lesser punishment and greater. There's all bad punishment. It's all bad. There's some worse than others. That's all I can say. I don't know. Maybe it's a bad illustration. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to figure We don't want to find out any of this at all. We don't even want to know. It seems there's something going on with this. It says it, so there's a reason why it says these things. All right, anybody else on that? Go to number two, mortal and venial sins. Do you see that? Roman, church, Roman Catholic Church teaches this, two categories of sin. Okay, If you're a Catholic, you're going to hear this. Two categories of sins, mortal and venial. Mortal sins are the bad ones. They're really bad ones. Intentional, very serious sins, things like murder and adultery. Uh, and if, if you do this, if you die with mortal sin, you know, unconfess, you didn't go to the priest or whatever. If you die with mortal sin on your soul, you're lost forever. In order, in order to be forgiven of mortal sins, you have to do some kind of sacrifice 
or, or sacrament of penance. You have to, whatever they do. I don't know what they do. Okay, did, was anybody here used to be a Catholic? You guys did. Did you, did you study all this in the Catholic Church? And, okay. Venial sins is, is sins of a lesser nature, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, like unkindness, dishonesty, anger. Those aren't all that bad <laughs> compared to the moral sins. That's what the Catholics say. Uh, these, these sins won't result in your soul being eternally separated from God. Uh, what did you guys think of that when you were Catholics? Do you think anything about it at all? Or did you think, I, I never want to commit a mortal sin because that's, or did you care you were just like a halfway Catholic? He was a better Catholic. You were not very, Steve, I'll be honest with you, your Catholic record, not good. Uh, not good as a Catholic. You were not outstanding Catholic, so. Okay. Yeah. I thought it would be worse than that, than the rosary or Hail Mary. I thought they, she thought when they said Hail Mary, she had to throw a football. <laughs> anyway. All right, so does the Bible teach two categories of sin? Because we just said there was greater and lesser sins and this and that, and scales and all that. Does it teach mortal and venial sins? <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it either. But look at first, they get it from verses like this. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9. And maybe uh, Steve, the uh, backslidden Catholic, Claudette can tell us, the more committed Catholic can tell us more about this. Um, <laughs> 1 Corinthians 6, 9. I went to a Catholic church one time in the back door. and They had a, a water thing. You could press a button, and it said holy water on the, on the thing. So I think I drank some of it just to check it out. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 6, 9, unfortunately nothing happened to me. I was the same, same wretch that I was before. Yeah, right. Yeah. So they'll look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Now, of course, you know the Catholics, they don't, their Bible's only one thing. There's church tradition and, and all that. There's two things, really, in their, their mind. Really, church tradition rules out, is, overrules the Bible in, in reality, if you want to know the truth about it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, or all these people, drunkards, are going to inherit the kingdom of God. These are the, this is clearly, in their mind, mortal sins. These are the bad ones. So they, they look at all this list like this, and they say, see, these are, these are sins that you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You're done for. Unless you, get it, unless you confess it to, or whatever to the priest, and you do your, throw your Hail Mary passes and uh, all that. So... Uh, uh, that's that's what they would say, but this is only one list in the Bible, uh, and we know really the sin. What is the sin? I remember reading by Ari Tory years ago. Ari Tory was an associate of D.L. Moody, and and I read a lot about Moody and Tory back in the day. And uh, interesting guys. And Ari Tory said, "What sin is it that sends people to hell? It is what sin of unbelief. You're, you don't believe in Christ." That's what's it. It's not drunken, drinking, and all this other Now, these are an indication that if you have a lifestyle, is what it's talking about, of uh, these kind of things. Huh? Yeah. But if you have a lifestyle, you're a constant thief or whatever, a thief, then you're showing I'm not really a believer because I don't care about God. I'm just I'm breaking his law every time I get a chance here. So uh, there's no categories in the scripture. Like, there's all kinds of lists in the Bible of all kinds of different sins. And, uh, everybody who doesn't come to Christ is, is eternally lost. So, all right, 
Number three, sin leading to death. Go to 1 John. And of course, all of you last week figured out exactly, oh, by the way, you figured out exactly what this was. Um, okay, this week's reading is Matthew 12 and Mark 3. First John, Matthew 12, Mark 3, 5, 1 John 5, 13. Look at 1 John 5, 13 through 17. I, didn't, I don't think I repeated the question. Somebody asked a question already. I didn't repeat it. Try to remember to do that. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we have asked, which we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not to death, literally, not to death, he shall ask, and he is what it says in the Greek, which is taken as God. He, God will give him life to those who commit sin, not to death. There is a sin to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. Uh, all unrighteousness is sin. There's a sin that, lead, that, that is not to death. So he makes sure he covers his bases. Like we just started this subject we just did. Oh, by the way, all unrighteousness is sin. Don't get me wrong here. However, there is a sin that leads to death. Or there is, there is a sin that leads to death. It can be translated. Or there is sin that leads to death. Okay? So you guys studied this diligently last week and looked at all the information about this. And what's your take on that? What is a sin leading to death, or, or whatever? What is it? Well, if we go back and say it's a sin of unbelief, you know, causes a man to be lost eternally, then the three person is looking at it, you know, this commentary, you know, couldn't he talk about physical death? I mean, versus spiritual death. Because we see, like with Ananias and Sapphira, for example, the husband and wife, Anybody else? Good, actually. What you said.
Right. Yeah, it's uh, 1 Timothy one twenty. These false teachers, um, uh, and they and he says among these, uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan. What's that? Is that his Steve? I think the silversmith. Well, Alexander the coppersmith is another thing, but this these guys in First Timothy one twenty, I've handed Satan, ha handed over to Satan, so they will be not taught taught not to blaspheme. Is that what you're talking about, or another word? Uh, Alexander the Coppersmith did me much evil. Yeah, I, I, and I might be getting two verses yeah. mixed up, but basically, yeah. but he handed over, and that time there, it doesn't talk about so that the flesh may be destroyed, but the spirit may be saved. Right. Which I don't know if I'm reading or not reading something into it or not. Okay. Yeah, <clears throat> Hebrews six, six to four to six. That's right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. This is a really good discussion. You guys really went at it last week. Anybody else on this? Bob. Our next subject. Go ahead. Uh, as Jesus said, therefore I say to you, he who can blaspheme for the forgiveness people, but blaspheme against the Spirit, shall so speak the word of the Son of Man. It shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. And so I think, um, I think the context here is that they're saying that Jesus casts out demons by the Spirit as well. Right. The question is, you know, if a uh, false teacher is, you know, creating a uh, false, you know, teaching about, you know, the truth, mm -hmm. wouldn't that be blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? If a false teacher is twisting the Bible mm -hmm. for his own design, would that be blasphemy against the Spirit if it's inspired? Yeah. Okay, I mean, yeah, and in a sense you could say that, yeah. The other question is, is that the unpardonable sin? And we're going to talk about that in a minute. We'll, we're going to go through a lot about that, okay? But, yeah, those, those are what you guys all said are very, very good thoughts. Anybody else? Those are very good thoughts about this whole subject here. This is not simple passage, okay, and everybody wrestles with this. On the other hand, we don't want to complicate it too much. Uh, we don't want to get, you know, sometimes we, we, we're afraid of it. We, we say, oh, nobody knows what this means. We come to it and we're all complicating it. And, but if we looked at it carefully and, and broke it down, we might find something we didn't see before. So those are good. What you guys just said was a good discussion. But let's talk about this for a minute. Um, let me just give you a handful of interpretations that have been put forth about this. Number one, this is what, generally speaking, people have said about this, these verses. John could be refer, referring to a professing believer who demonstrates through his constant sin that he's, he's not a true believer. This could be the sin to death. Is what, look at 1 John 3, 6, for example. Um, 
No one who abides in him sins. Now, 1 John 1 says that everybody sins, right? So this is talking about no one who abides in him is a person who is, you know, given to a pattern of sin in their life, lifestyle sin. No one who practices sin, we could say, has seen him or knows him, okay? Um, so some people think, well, this is a professing believer who demonstrates by his habitual sin that he's not a true believer, and so finally God takes his life, okay? He, 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 uh, he, he kills him, uh, or maybe it's a sin that John warned about in his letter, chronic disobedience, like we said, or, or he's denied Christ, uh, deity. Some people think that is what the uh, sin leading to death is. Uh, secondly, John could be referring to a true believer who brought shame to Christ and God disciplined. God's discipline resulted in premature death. Uh, so this is more of a possibility in my mind than the first one. And Jimmy brought up the Acts 5 passage. Turn to 1 Corinthians 11, 29, by the way. Yeah, 11, 29. And so in Acts 5, by the way, what did he say? Go to Acts 5 and 1 Corinthians 11. Let's just look at these passages so you'll see for your first hand. I know you've read this, but uh, get it in front of us again. Acts 5, you know, you had Ananias. You had the people in the church giving money, right, to uh, the building program, <laughs> to uh, whatever. And uh, so they're giving, and then Ananias and Sapphira, hey, we need to give too because we're going to look bad if we don't. <laughs> So let's give this much and tell them, tell, let's give a, a little bit and tell them we gave a lot. They do that, and, uh, and Peter says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And then uh, verse 5, look at verse 5. As he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. He died. So is that the sin of death? And then the wife comes in, verse uh, 9. Peter said, why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the, they're going to carry you out too. Verse 10, immediately she fell to his feet and breathed her last. She died too, okay? So that's... Is maybe that's the sin of death. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, 29. And there's the argument of whether Ananias and Sapphira were saved or not. They were in the church. 1 Corinthians 11, 29, 30. Talking about the Lord's Supper. Jimmy brought this up too. But just to look at it again, he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if you don't examine yourself. And he does not judge the body, body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick. Many, a number sleep, some a number have died, okay? Maybe they committed the sin to death. So these are, you know, possibilities. There's a third view, actually, and that's in Tom Schreiner, who is a, Bob teaches over at uh, Southern Seminary in Kentucky, is a, is a good guy, a good man. Thomas Schreiner says, I, and I heard him on a video the other day, he says, I think that the unpardonable sin, as Bob just said, is the same sin as we find in 1 John 5.16, the sin of death. That's committed by unbelievers, actually. So, obviously, we know that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, so he thinks the unpardonable sin. You got back up from Thomas Schreiner there. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, um, it's hard to pin it down. But, and there's, it, there, there is something that, and maybe it's, it's a combination of these things, too. We know that God takes uh, people out of the world for different reasons. And so, there's a sin of death. I'm going to leave it in his. But it says, look at 1 John 5, 16. Um, if you see your sin, uh, brother committing sin not to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sin not to death. In other words, pray for the guy, right? But if he's committed a sin not leading to death, there is a sin leading to death. I do not say you should make, make requests for this. You don't need to pray about that. That it would reverse itself, you know, because he's committed a sin to death. It's, I'm not going to answer that prayer, okay? 
He also doesn't make a big, he doesn't say, he just says, I don't think you should pray for that. Now, he doesn't make a big deal out of it. He doesn't go into great length, don't pray for that or anything. He just says it in such a way to say, I'm going to take this guy out. I'm taking him out. It doesn't matter if you pray or not, you know. Now, look at Jeremiah in regard to this prayer business. Look at Jeremiah 7.16. I'm not trying to, I hope I'm not confusing you worse than I'm helping here. There are t times in the Bible where God says, don't pray for that guy. I'm, I'm taking care of him. Don't even bother praying for that guy. 7.16, Jeremiah 7.16. Um, there's a, it's a context of judgment, okay, on uh, Israel or Judah. And this is what the Lord says. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Look at verse 16, Jeremiah 7, 16. As for you, Jeremiah, do not pray for this people. And do not lift up a cry or prayer for them. And do not intercede with them, for I do not hear you. I'm not going to listen to this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to judge these people. Look at 11, 14, Jeremiah 11:14. 14. Verse 13, he talks about the idols they're worshiping. Your gods are many as your cities, O Judah. Many as the streets of Jerusalem are the altars you have set up to the shameful thing, altars to burn incense to Baal. Therefore, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or a prayer for them. I will not listen when they call to me because of their disaster. I'm going to judge them. It's over with. They're, they've sealed their fate, okay? So there are times when that happens in the Bible. Now I realize this is, a, you know, 1 John 5, 16. But well, we get the idea, whatever is exactly, there is a sin that you can, people can commit, whether even believers can commit things that take them out. The guy says, I'm done with you. You're, you crossed the line. So, or the destruction of the flesh. A lot of people think, I've handed them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. A lot of people interpret that as church discipline. I'm t putting them out of the church so Satan can, they're out in Satan's realm now, and they're going to have to repent. And until then, Satan's going to teach them a lesson about what it's, like, what it's like to be out in his realm. On the other hand, does it mean physical death? Maybe. I've often wondered about that. Bob? Uh, that just mean that, you know, they're, they struggle with, you know, the context of just not, just talking about Christ preaching. Right, know, right, right. Okay. Okay. Right. Although, should let me ask you this: along, two questions along with that, should we pray for Benny Hinn to be saved? Say, for example, or Ken Copeland, or all these guys that are false teachers. Or, Yeah, the people that. Right. Okay. No, that's good. That's good. Yeah, there's also in First John the idea that he's talking to Christians. Uh, hey, you need to love your brother. How do you know you're really saved? Well, to Christian professing Christian, how do you know you're really saved? You need to, well, do you love your brother? And. Are you obedient to God on a regular basis as a practice of life and these kind of things? And then another question, Bob, in verse 16, who's the brother? His brother, is that a believer or is that somebody, uh, just another guy? What is it? If it's a, if it's a believer, then 
um, first of all, his brother committing a sin not leading to death, um, then, uh, you know, I mean, are both of these guys, both these cases, believers? Right. So when you jump over there, right. is, 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 then I think it's safe to say that a, a brother, that's possibly a brother in Christ, if you talk about earlier about us as believers, we, when we sin, you know, so is that a brother? It's possible that could be a brother who sinned. Right, right. So it's possible, right? Yeah, I think with this one, I realize, Bob, that well, you have some good points there, that uh, we're, we're going to raise more questions maybe than we answer with that. First John 5.16. Although, I think we can all conclude this. Uh, there's probably... Uh, believers can commit sin from other passages that lead to death. And unbelievers can commit sin where God says, Psh! maybe he takes them out too. So, I don't know. That's right. That's right. 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 Yeah. So could, could we say that then when you, with the unbeliever who commits whatever sin, God takes them out, so they're lost. Right. They're lost, yeah. Or the same person that committed sin and God decides to take them out. Yeah. Based on uh, the scripture, you know, that that's his brother in Christ. Mm -hmm. He may have sinned and God took him out. I mean, it's clear that he didn't, his, uh, his salvation wasn't taken from him. No, no. Still safe. Yeah, that's right. Still saved, but God took him home early and said, "Hey, you know, and and, and maybe he's not going to have any rewards. He'll be in heaven, but without rewards, also, you know." Um, so yeah, I think we can at least uh, realize that God does take people out for this or that reason, certain sins or whatever habitual sin or whatever it might be. Uh, so we can come to that conclusion at least. All right, we're going to move on to the next one and, and get further confused as we talk about the unpardonable sin. Thanks for the... You want... Okay. You got one? All right, let me ask, first of all, how many of you... Well, let me get up here. I, I got this thing. How many of you committed the unpardonable sin? Alright. I can tell you, I thought one time I did. Yeah. I thought one time I could be saved, but I was like scared for like walking the streets of Plant City for several weeks, wanting to go to church, read my Bible, but I literally said that you can't be saved. You can't be saved. You're going to hell. Are you saying it's scary to walk the streets of Plant City? In some places. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of Christians have thought they've committed the unpardonable sin, and they're worried about it. A lot of Christians are worried about that, and people have talked to me about it a little bit, but we're going to look at several passages. Uh, some of them I don't even think I wrote in your notes. I came across, I was just reading through Matthew the other day, and I came across one I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about it. Look at Matthew 9, 32, first of all. You have, do I have that in your notes? Okay, the unpardonable sin. What are the passages? That's the first thing. We're going to look at the passages first, and we'll, we'll go through this slow and take our time and think about this. Matthew 9, 32. Uh, this is more than one place, first of all, okay? This idea. As they were going out, a mute, demon-possessed... This is not the main passage. Demon-possessed man, 
was brought to Jesus. After the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed and were saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees <laughs> were saying, he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. Pharisees hated Jesus, right? So had nothing good to say about him whatsoever. All right, go to Matthew 10, 25. Matthew 10, 24. Disciples not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher, that his slave like his master. If they have called the head of the household Beelzebul, which is another name for Satan, we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, how much more will they malign the members of his household? They, Jesus said, they've called me Beelzebul, which is another way of saying Satan. And we'll talk about that, but what that means. But so then what are they going to call you, my followers, you know? Look at Mark 3.20. So you can see this is kind of building through the Gospels. And there's, there's these instances in Matthew where Jesus has cast out a demon. Then he cast out another demon. Then he cast out another demon. And, and the people, the, the crowds are amazed. But the Pharisees are, they're infuriated, you know. So, yeah. So Mark 3.20 is another case. We'll come back to uh, Matthew in a minute. Mark 3.20. Um, and he came home and the Mark, oh okay 320 to 30 he came home Jesus did and the crowd gathered again to such an extent they could not even eat at a meal you'll see this in the gospel of Mark this, the crowds are always big, big and they're always talking about that when his own people heard of this his family they went out to take custody of him for they were saying he's lost his senses he's crazy the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying he's possessed by Beelzebul there it is he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons and he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man. Then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of what? An eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. All right, go to Luke 12. We're just looking at the passages first, all of them. Luke 12, 8. Uh, Jesus says, Luke 12, 8. I say to you, everyone... Who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him before the angels of God, but he who denies before men, before men will be denied before the angels of God, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man is going to be forgiven him, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. All right, go back to Matthew 12. This is the, this is the passage most people refer to when they're talking about the unpardonable sin, although you can see it elsewhere, right? Matthew 12, 22. All right, then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the mute, man, the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, that This man cast out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. 
If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself, how then will his kingdom stand? If I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people. But blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. All right, those are the passages. Now what's the context here? Well, if you're reading through Matthew in chapters 5 through 12, Jesus is doing a lot of teaching. Like, for example, what was the big block of teaching he did called? 5 through 7, Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, Beatitudes. He's healing, he's doing a lot of healing. He's casting out demons. And we get to chapter 12. And he's, at the beginning of the chapter, he's walking through the grain fields with his disciples, and they're picking the grains of corn, because they're picking the grain, uh, heads of grain, uh, because they're hungry. And uh, disciple, uh, the Pharisees see that, hey, this isn't lawful to do on the Sabbath. They're always waiting for this to happen, right? <laughs> this isn't lawful to do on the Sabbath. This is work in their mind. And uh, Jesus says, no, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, you know. And then he heals a man on the Sabbath on top of that. He's really, I know what he's doing. He's going he's gonna to just dig it into him, right? I'm gonna, we're going to eat on the Sabbath <laughs> like this. We're going to pick heads of grain. We're gonna, I'm going to heal a man on the Sabbath. And then he cast out uh, the demon of this guy on the Sabbath. Look, but what was the, before we go there, what was the attitude of the Pharisees anyway? Look at chapter 12, verse 14. The Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. Right. Uh, but Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him and he healed them all there. So he's healing people and all this stuff, but they hate his guts. They want to, it says they want to destroy him, not even kill him. They want to destroy, end him, okay, end his influence. So then in verse 22, he cures a demon-possessed man, right? He's blind and mute as well. The crowd see this and they say, they wonder, maybe this is the son of David, which means what? This is the title for Messiah. Maybe this is our Messiah to come. Well, do you think, how do you think the Pharisees feel about that? Uh-uh. No, we're not. We got to put an end to this, okay? So uh, they, they, that made the Pharisees, you know, infuriated them. They, they about just about lost their minds when they when they said this. So in verse twenty-four, the Pharisees commit the unpardonable sin. Uh, they said, "This man cast out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons." Um, now that's blasphemy, okay? Serious blasphemy. Uh, and so, but Jesus shows how illogical their argument is. He says he might as well said. This is the most illogical thing I've ever heard in my life. He says, why would Satan cast out his own demons out of people? He's trying to fill people with his demons, not throw them out of the people. And then he, and he says, furthermore, what about the Jewish exorcist that you guys use over here to supposedly cast out demons? Who's controlling those people, Satan or God, you know? And uh, the implication is, are they doing it under Satan's authority as well? Uh, so now, in, in, by the way, in Mark 3.22, uh, the scribes say this. He is, at one of the instances, he's possessed by Beelzebul. He's possessed by him. They call it, he's Satan possessed, okay? Now, Beelzebul is, there was a, if you look at, uh, I think it's 2 Kings, yeah, 2 Kings 1.2. If you want to write that down, 2 Kings 1.2, you can check it out later. Uh, Beelzebul was the, uh, Beelzebub was the pagan, was a pagan Philistine god. 
and uh, worshipped in the city of Ekron and Philistia. And that term meant Lord of the Flies, okay? And that's in 2 Kings uh, 1 2 where you can see, but it's actually Baal. Baal Zebub, okay? This is one of the Baal god, you know, worshiper of Baal, right? And they've done archaeological ex excavations in those cities, and they've uncovered golden images of flies. They call him the Lord of the Flies. And after that time, the Philistines, the, the Jews changed the name to Beelzebul from Beelzebub, um, which means Lord of Dung. They, they had no time for, for this God at all, you know. And then some biblical scholars believe Beelzebub was also known, known as God of Filth. And this name became a, a term for scorn. It became an, a, a, a way to say Satan, okay? It be, over time, it became a way to say, describe Satan, but it's really a scornful name, a derogatory name for Satan even, you know? This guy's controlled by Beelzebul. This is the Lord of Dung, you know? Satan, basically. So this is, they, they found the worst way they possible to, to blaspheme Christ is what they did. They, they called him the lowest name they could call him and said he was possessed by Satan. What greater blasphemy is there? And then uh, Jesus says, well, this is illogical and, he says, if, if, you know, Satan doesn't cast himself out. That's, that's dividing his kingdom. That's, no one would do that. That's stupid. And he says, but if I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God, which he, which he was, and he knew it, and that's what he's saying, in fact, guess what? You guys are encountering the kingdom of God, and, and you're, now you're coming up against a spiritual force. And he says, either you're with me or you're against me, one of the two. There's no middle ground. And then he talks about the unpardonable sin. All right, what is the unpardonable sin? Well, I'll ask you guys, what is it? And then we'll... I like that, source. They went after the source. That's exactly right. Anybody else on that? That's one thing about it. They went after the source. Uh, let me give you the uh, what these guys in the white book here say is the definition. Here's what they say. I think I have, I have this in your note. The unpardonable sin is the willful and final rejection of the Holy Spirit who is working through Jesus by attributing God's work in Christ to Satan. It's the willful, you have to understand these words, willful and final rejection. You, what was the attitude of the Pharisees toward Jesus all this time? We hate his guts, hate his guts, hate his guts. He keeps doing stuff. People are beginning to say, this is the Messiah. They're all excited about his miracles. They get thrilled about it. Pharisees said, we've got to get rid of this guy. Let's kill him, you know, destroy him. That's their attitude. And so there's this willful and final rejection of the Holy Spirit who's working through Jesus. What does Luke say about the Holy Spirit and Jesus? Again and again, the Holy Spirit's working through him. The Holy Spirit's leading him. It says it again and again, these kind of things, you know. He did what he did by the Holy Spirit. So he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so all this is going on. And uh, so they, they commit the sin, which is the willful and final rejection of the Holy Spirit, who is working through Jesus by attributing God's work in Christ to Satan. Now, Burkhoff, another theologian, says this in a more wordy statement. It's a, I wanted to give it because this is kind of a famous statement. This sin consists in the conscious 
malicious and willful rejection and slander against evidence. What, what evidence? What was the evidence? Miracles. His deity. Right. That's right. They they commit the evidence of Christ's deity, as Bob said, uh, by his, witnesses by his by his miracles. People, everybody saw it. the crowds. Everybody saw it. Every, it wasn't a secret. This sin consists in the conscious. Think of these words: this conscientious decision made by the Pharisees to reject Christ, a malicious decision, a willful rejection, and slanderous one against evidence and conviction of the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Rejecting the grace of God in Christ, attributing it, out of, attributing it out of hatred and enmity, enmity the Prince of Darkness, to the Prince of Darkness. In other words, they hated Christ, so they said, let's just give this credit to Satan for doing this. And committing that sin willfully, maliciously, and intentionally attributes what is clearly, clearly recognized as the work of God to the influence and operation of Satan. There's, I mean, so that's what they're doing. This is a heinous, horrible, you know, willful sin that is... Uh, Seals their fate. They, they have no intention of changing from this, uh, their mind about this at all. Not going to change their mind about this. This is how it is. Okay? All right. Uh, let's go ahead and give three observations and we'll quit. Several observations, three observations about this sin. Number one, the, the ones committing it had witnessed the power of Christ and his miracles. They saw those miracles, including the deliverance of the demon possessed man firsthand. Now, what would you think if you saw this again and again and again and you heard about it? This Christ, even Herod heard about it. I heard, maybe he'll perform some miracle if I can see him, you know. Uh, and so they denied the clear evidence in front of them. That's the first thing. Secondly, their rejection of Christ and the Holy Spirit was deliberate and definite. Deliberate and definite. They knew exactly what they were doing. This is not a, they didn't wonder if they committed the, they didn't wonder if they were blaspheming Christ. They knew they were blaspheming Christ. Of course, they didn't care. They didn't consider him to be the Christ or the Messiah. So they knew it. They didn't misunderstand it. They, what they did, they knew that this, is a, this rejection is a willful, willful slander of God's holy character or what they considered. They didn't consider this God at all. The Net Bible, in a note on Matthew 12, 32, says this. The unpardonable sin is not simply a momentary doubt or sinful attitude, not a, not a mistake, but it is indeed, listen to this, a settled condition, a settled condition which opposes the Spirit's work as typified by the religious leaders who oppose Jesus. It is a settled condition, okay? Three, they credited, and finally, they credited Satan with the work of the Holy Spirit. Very serious, not just simple unbelief. We're not talking about unbelief. We're talking about a great, horrible blasphemy uh, going further than the normal to say, what he's doing, this Jesus here, he's being controlled and led and uh, under the authority of Satan. That's what he's doing. So this is a, this is a horrible sin. How much can I get away with here before these people come in? Let me read one thing and we'll quit. <clears throat> why, uh, D, why is blasphemy against Christ forgiven but not against the Spirit? That's, I shouldn't get into this right now. Okay, let's quit. Let's quit. We'll, okay, yeah. Let me read the statement. Daryl Bach is a scholar. He says this. The blasphemy of the Spirit might be regarded as the byproduct of rejecting the Son of Man. I have this in your notes, right? The difference between blaspheming the Son of Man and the blaspheming of the Spirit is that blasphemy of the Son of Man is an instant rejection, while blasphemy of the Spirit is a permanent rejection, eternal sin, Mark 3 calls it. Once the Spirit's testimony about God's work through Jesus is permanently refused, and that's what these Pharisees did, then nothing can be forgiven since God's plan has been rejected outright. So we'll, we'll quit. You guys think about that?
Any uh, final thoughts? We're in the middle of this subject. We're not through with it yet, so. Well, that's we're we're going to get to that oh, okay. next week. That's part of what we're going to talk about. It's it's a long kind of a involved thing. So we'll talk about that next time. Yeah, we have more questions about this. <laughs> so all right, so you're dismissed.